y'all. It's Bree and Lainey. Welcome. And we have with us today an incredible educator, principal from Newton, Massachusetts, the one and only Henry Turner. And we are so excited to have you today. Thank hey, you. Judith. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. We would love to hear, as we always start these episodes, about your sweet and sour. So what's going on for you? So it's a great question. I'd say my sweet, how I'm feeling right now, is really energized in that I've been in my building for the last two days. Um, and we had our first day with our staff yesterday uh, on Zoom. But it was just so energizing to see their faces. Um, and um, amid all of the nonsense that's going outside of our building to see um, educators committed to the work and focused on kids. It was just uh, an uplifting past couple of days. And we have eight more days of uh, togetherness before our students come in. And I'm looking forward to those days as well. Very nice. Very nice. Well, that was your sweet. So, I mean, nothing sour right now, right? It's all pretty much roses. Everything, everything's beautiful. Or what, what is it? Everything is awesome. Everything. Um, so I would say the sour is kind of is connected to my sweet in that um, it, yesterday was the first day that I, uh, that I went into work, um, and just sort of thinking as a parent, just sort of thinking our balance with my wife and I've had, I've gone into work, you know, a number of times since, uh, we've been remote, but, um, knowing that this yesterday was my first day that I'm going to be going in, you know, on a regular basis, certainly created a little bit of challenge of just thinking about what does it look like and having, a working parent at home and a working parent in the office with a 10 year old who is not yet in school, but what does that look like when she is in school? So it just raised a lot of uh, questions that we didn't really have answers to. And so it just kind of also, so it led to a little bit of stress and uh, I can empathize with those working parents who are thinking through that challenge right now as well. Bree and I can relate to that. <laughs> Lots of uncertainties for sure. And I think that I, I'm, I applaud you for that empathy because I think that that's been one of the, the conversations that I've been having a lot lately is, you know, around that uncertainty and that no one really has a lot of answers right now. And we're doing a lot of wait and see or, you know, listen first and then have conversations um, to try to make the best decision that we have in that moment, right? And then knowing things can um, can change and, and, and probably will change. And so I certainly um, can, can empathize with that, right? Of like, okay, we think this is what our plan is gonna be, but we're not entirely sure um, for how long it will be and how long can we sustain it? What does that look like, um, you know, by next month, by next semester, by next year, all of those kind of conversations. Yeah, like do you, I don't know if you, I'm sure you notice this too, that I, I, mean, I love talking about teaching and learning. I love talking about schools. Um, but I also, in a typical situation, if you ask me those two questions, they probably would not both be directly related to school, right? And I, I, it, is, it is impossible to get out of a conversation, to not be a part of a conversation around teaching, teaching in schools right now. Right. Uh, we were on vacation and, um, you know, family was just asking us all these questions about like school and like, it was like, I'm on vacation. Like, I don't want to talk about school right now, but it's just that it is completely surrounding us right now. And I think that is an added stress is, I think as working educators too, is that um, 
just being able to have that escape. It's just, it, it, you know, I, as I said, I love this topic and it's nice to have, you know, a world outside of education, but that it doesn't feel like we have that world right now. And I would assume too that because there's so many different variables, like that's one of those things that's, that's tricky right now too, because you want to be there, there's, there's no one answer. And so not everybody is doing the same things and you don't want to be not supportive of other things that are happening. Right. And so it's like to each his own, but at the same time, you're also trying to justify the things that, that you're doing or that others are doing. And, and it's just, it's very complex. I think for a lot of people who are both inside education as well as outside education as to what the heck is happening these days and how do we wrap our minds around it. So Henry, can you share with us, because I'm, I'm really intrigued how, I, I know like Bree said, our, our practice has shifted because as parents, we're seeing a very different side of it, having school age kids at home. And so can you think of maybe some specific examples of how you being a parent of a school age child has impacted your practice as a principal? Like, what, what are the things that you're maybe seeing a little bit differently, kind of knowing what's happening on the other side of that camera? Yeah. Um, so I would say looking back at the spring, I mean, I think that when we started acknowledging that last year we were in crisis distance learning, not just distance learning, it just like put into perspective how hard it was. Um, but I would say as a parent, um, I was, I sucked as a, as a work, as a teacher for my kid. Um, am I allowed to say that word? On, Please, is a, no, actually, can yeah. I just tell you, yeah, there was such a visceral reaction I had, like the release, like "thank you." I, it's so <laughs> hard to admit that, but yeah, I, I honestly don't think it's natural to teach your own children. I'm just gonna go on oh. record. There's gonna be a lot of hate thrown my way, maybe, or maybe every educator is just nodding vigorously, like "yes, that is so true." Well, the homeschooling parents are like, "Yeah, that's right. You do suck. You don't know how bad, how hard it is." Um, but I, but I just think that, um, like, you know, I was. I was just like, I'm the educator. I know how to do this and, and we're going to do this right. And so, um, you know, I think her class, so I have a 10 year old last year was in fourth grade, nine year old. And she was, um, you know, they were, they were, we were in this transition. I just wanted her to get some practice on math. Right. And so I, I pulled up Khan Academy and I just said, just do Khan Academy for 30 minutes. Right. Well, within two days, 30 minutes turned into like a debate over like, can you do it for five minutes? And then it was just like, well, why do I even have to do this? My class isn't doing it. And my, you know, and we had like a family fight as we're all trying to like figure out our Zoom schedules and, um, and we're on top of each other, right? Like we're in one house and um, there's no way, like taking, I took my dog for a walk, a lot of walks. Uh, in the spring. So it was just like, you need, I, I need to get away from them. I love them, but I need to get away from them. Um, and I, I'm sure they felt the same way about me, but I can imagine my daughter seeing, you know, ha having her dad just like trying to act like Khan Academy was like the end all be all. Um, but I think it was just, it was really hard um, because you didn't know the answers. You knew that, um, you know, the educator me knew that taking you know, her teacher was taking her time, was trying to adjust, was focusing on the social emotional component, the connection. But even like my, I think my daughter had a hard time just even wanting to get up and 
play some games on Zoom with her class because yeah. um, she was trying to figure out whether this was pointless or not. And how much time do you do you spend, you know, arguing with your kid to say like, you know, play some Zoom games um, or, you know, it's okay for you to take a break. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I will say that the thing that I, I learned, it took me a while to, to buy into it, but I was trying to communicate this with our families, but it took me a while to, for it to sink in is that, my daughter's doing okay. Yeah. You know, she, she, you know, as a, now that we're in August, she is, she still knows how to read. She still knows how to do math. I mean, she like, and she's doing well with it all, right? It's like she's, she is fine. And this idea of learning loss is, is, you know, is, is just not accurate in the way in which we think about it. And what she's gained is tremendous. And, you know, so I think there was definitely a pivot point where my, our arguments about trying to convince her to do something turned into letting her do what she wanted to do, which is like great student-centered learning, yeah. right? Is like, you know, and, and encourage them in terms of what they're, they're learning and, um, and then praising them. And so her wanting to learn how to cook, like we leaned into that. Her wanting independence and go ride her bike in our town we leaned into that to support that. And I would say that she's a much more responsible kid now. Um, still not the most responsible, but she's much more responsible. And, um, you know, I shared on, I think you guys may have seen, I shared on, on Facebook a picture of her cooking eggs. Yeah. We were, so we were both on Zoom, my wife and I, and all of a sudden I like smells, I hear something cooking and smell it. And we're downstairs, she's cooking by herself. And like, <laughs> Like, are you going to ask us? And she, her confidence was like, I got this. Like, I don't need you to need to ask you anymore. It's like, well, no, we need to have a conversation about you in front of the stove. But like the fact that she had built that confidence on her own, like, that's amazing. So, so my dad grew up on a homestead in Alaska. (laughs) Independence, right? Like we have, we, we have the luxury of doing so much for our kids. I think maybe we've been doing too much for our kids. So this is, I, I love that you're seeing the upside of that, but this is an opportunity to, to allow that, um, that independence to grow. I think that's really cool. Totally. And I think that we, you know, I think as educators, we, and, and I know both my wife and I felt this way about as parents, is that we did not want to be the snowplow parents, right? That just paved the way for our kids. But knowing how, you know, our interactions with our friends and our community and the pressures of society, it was like hard to figure out like, how to have our kid have the experience that we had where we were independent we went and played because that there there's just some you know that does, it's not as common nope. as when we were growing up and so now it's much more common that our daughter is going for a bike ride by herself in the middle of the day and that's great so you know again like this has this you need to seize the opportunity of what crisis has give you and this crisis has given us the opportunity as parents to allow our kids to to grow up in a way that they would not have been able to um, prior to this. So I think to me, I think that's great. I'll also say that it's been a learning experience. And I think my experience as a parent early on and trying to like pound in the teaching just did not, was clearly not the, the answer. Well, I think, I think it's great that you're, you're kind of bringing that into your practice, right? This understanding of like, we're always so focused as educators on education. It's a good opportunity to like step back and think more whole, whole child. So I love that. 
so earlier you mentioned homeschooling and I just that I just wanted to say this because um, I have mad respect for homeschooling so I don't want anyone to think that I don't love the homeschooling community out there I God bless you um, and I also think like one of the things that I just am gonna put out there is I I worry about assumptions made about online learning based on this experience and like online learning is a community that's near and dear to my heart and this is not online learning like the online learning is something that happens by choice usually um and that's that's not what this is so we're in just like this crazy cuckoo bananas time and two and five years from now we're gonna probably look back on this and go my god we were so in it we couldn't understand this the magnitude of the situation and so you know we can look back now on that spring like you were talking about and like that was just crisis um we didn't know i mean for me when my kids got released it was like oh you'll have two weeks and then we'll see you and it was like oh my god we got to get through two weeks and then it turned into <laughs> into two more weeks and then two months and then it's like maybe we'll see you in september yeah. mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's been a little crazy it's been yeah. super crazy I, would, I mean I, this is probably more from the principal lens but i would say that uh the first, you know, the first two weeks, I'd say, is like crisis, is like crisis phase one, but those first few weeks in March for us in Massachusetts, and then as we started to get into a rhythm and started figuring out like what, getting into some sort of routine, like that was crisis phase two, and now we're in crisis phase three, where you know it's just building a, it's building a school, um, fully remote, not knowing and and trying to figure out how to get kids out of their homes so that they can interact. Um, and focus on their, you know, their emotional well-being um, for a longer term. You know, so I, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, I just thinking about where we were those first few weeks, um, both not knowing like what we were getting ourselves into. Second, that you know we're worried about ourselves and our in our in our own children. I, you know, I don't. Um, I would just say from our, our school, we had uh, two weeks prior to we us. Uh, stopping school is that we had kids in Italy. We had an exchange program in Italy. Um, and so that we had to have them when they came, they flew back. I don't remember. It was like right when Italy shut down. Um, but we were making all these plans about how do we, do we, do we have them come to school? Yeah. And so we quarantined them for two weeks. And so we had to do like distance learning for those kids prior to us even shutting school down. Um, and we thought that was the crisis, like getting like, you know, as was like 18 kids, getting, getting those 20 some odd kids, like remote learning and then a shutting down as a whole school, focusing on our family, focusing on, you know, everything else. So it, it, I mean, to me, that was like, we were just making decisions and literally building the plane as we were flying it. And then as we started to get into a routine, I think we did a really nice job of, of growing and, um, you know, I think that set us up for, for you know where we are now. So Henry, tell us what you're headed into for this new school year. What's what's this going to be like for you? Are you guys even coming in person? Are you starting remote? What does this look so, like? So so we're um, so we are starting remote. Um, I'm I'm calling it remote plus because we're going to be um, remote for classes, and then we're going to open up for um, extracurriculars and uh, sports, and we're gonna try to do some um, other kind of community events for our students um, in the afternoon. And, um, and we're gonna have, um, you know, the building will be open for 
um, for some of our high need students in terms of providing some support for them. Um, but yeah, we'll be starting largely uh, remote this year. And so what, what are some of the successes of so far? Because your teachers started to come yesterday. I know earlier in your suite, you said like, oh, that was, that was positive. Like, how's, how's the culture going? How are you as the leader keeping this all going? <laughs> yeah, um, I like how you phrased that question. How is it, what's going well? So um, I mean, we, haven't, we haven't had kids yet. I think right now where we are, so we were um, just a, as a district, um, our elementary schools are, are going hybrid. So like not everyone in our district is going, going remote. So I think that that, so that's definitely, um, there's a political um, atmosphere going on in our, in our district right now that is really intense. So, um, and that's been going on over the summer. So I think that like, you know, I, I guess what I would start out with is, is it okay if I start a little bit back, further back? So sure. I'd say like in June, I felt really good about what we were doing, um, how we had grown in terms of remote learning. So I think earlier we were talking about this being crisis remote. I was really proud that um, we had done some really nice synthesis work for students and we were really trying to, starting to reshape um, or, or see some of the benefits to this environment. And so um, how we landed the year was, <clears throat> that was also the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And so we ended the year with this sort of uh, two-pronged lens of how do we make remote learning work and how do we make it, um, how do we make sure that we're an anti-racist school um, and, and committed to, um, you know, dismantling the racism that we've been, that we've been trying to dismantle for a while at our school. Um, and so I felt really positive about that we were all on, the, as a staff, that we were on the same page. Yeah. And that our students felt cared for, they felt supported. Um, and so then, but not knowing what the fall was going to look like. So the summer has been just a really challenging point where, you know, education, going back to school became a political topic nationwide. Um, there was a lot of intensity around that. Um, it, was, it was brought forward with a very simplistic view of like, whether we should just, you know, send them all in or we should just all go remote. Like there was no sort of nuance. And, and I think that, you know, early on, I was frustrated with the debate about whether it should be hybrid or remote because truly the, it should be about how do we make sure the instruction is effective um, next year. And, and so I was, you know, proud that we, uh, in this, actually in the spring said that no matter what the system structure is going to look like remote is going to be the best form of instruction right now. Um, and so we did a lot of PD over the summer, but yet there was still this political climate about structure and, um, and it's gotten, you know, it progressively has gotten intense. Um, and there's a lot of anger. So, you know, the way that you asked the question of like, what's going well is that, you know, going into um, yesterday, our first day of school, I was really nervous because um, the anxiety and stress and attacks on school is really, is really, is really intense right now. Um, and the impact that, that has had on our staff, on our relationships with our community, um, has been has been really hard and knowing that there's a lot of people in our community that are really supportive of us um and i'll just say to that all along i've known that these are the same teachers great teachers that were teaching prior to covid as well and i'm fortunate that i've got um 
a really passionate uh, staff that that really want to make do the right thing for kids. So, um, so now my long-winded way to get to your question is that starting yesterday, I was um, I was really moved by the, the just the laser focus they had on making this year work. You know, and you know we we our big our big theme themes are. Um, particularly yesterday was um, using the universal design for learning lens as well as the anti-racist lens and how do they overlap. And so we um, had, uh, and so just kind of using those two lenses to help frame people thinking about how to design their, their um, learning plans for the, for the first few weeks of school focused on a relationship building. Um, and just kind of like narrowing that topic, you know, I think that like, uh, for high school high school teachers, we get sometimes nervous about like the term relationship building or community building, and like we're like, well, I got to focus on my content, right? So like, I think there was some nervousness about like, I don't know how to do this. But then once we started sharing ideas yesterday about, um, you know, moving beyond games, but actually, how do you how do you introduce your content and do community building at the same time? Um, all of a sudden, the creativity just started to explode. Oh. And I heard veteran teachers saying, like, I remember when I used to, uh, you know, we used to slow things down at the beginning of the year. We used to work on, you know, the history skills of, like, what we really wanted to prioritize this year. And we did some map, you know, did some map work to help kind of think, set the context of what we're talking about in, you know, in our, in our course. And, um, and another teacher talked about, you know, the art of problem solving and what does it take to be a problem solver? And she gave a scenario of, um, you know, buying Adirondack chairs and trying to fit them into her car, little car and like all of the different ways in which she had to fit into her car and finally did it and all the steps it took of like frustration and perseverance and all these aspects of problem solving. And how do you get kids to kind of think through that problem solving takes all of these different um, aspects to, in order to solve the problem? And it's like, these are the things we've been really encouraging folks to think through the last several years. And now it's taken this crisis for people to really hone in on it, but they are so ready, you know, and, and just those conversations made them realize that they are so ready. Um, so that story of like my daughter, like feeling confident, like they, I could see that confidence start to build in them that like, yes, even though I'm gonna be doing this on Zoom, I, I know I can do this. Um, and it's going to take some different things. I need to learn some different things, but like truly I know how to do this. So, um, yeah, that's what energized me. I think going into uh, yesterday or energized me at the end of the day yesterday was that our folks were just so, um, you know, they just were real, they were already taking risks and they were already starting to think about kids. I sorry, that. I'm sorry. That was a long answer. No, that's great. <laughs> The, one of the things that jumps out in my mind with that is, is, you know, going back to your conversation with your daughter about your daughter and about being that parent that's just like, what? Like, I'm supposed to be good at this. And, and um, Lainey and I had many of those same conversations uh, about ourselves. And um, when you were talking, like the very, for the first time, I kind of came to this aha, which was, you know, part of it was that like, we, we kind of, even as educators, just put ourselves right in the middle of all the learning that they were already doing, right? And so 
that's one of the challenges, right? Is to walk in and not knowing what exactly has been done before you. And then all of a sudden here you are trying to do what you know to do, but it might not be the way that they had done it. And then they're trying to process like, well, this isn't the way that Mrs. So-and-so does it or that Mr. So-and-so does it. And so they're confused and you feel like you're supposed to know how to do this. And, and that, Fast forward to your conversation about working with your um, with your teachers yesterday and with your faculty about how you know it's that relationship that you have with them. Like our kids, our our personal children had relationships with their with their teachers, and then we kind of moved that relationship situation as as parent educators, and then we had to kind of like step back and let that relationship with them as family kind of come back in to then find what were those things, what were those passions around learning and how was this important and how can we all kind of come together in order to create that confidence and create those connections even further. And then we have to do that same thing with our faculty and, and not just come in and say like, hey, this is what you've been doing and here's the new thing that you need to do. Instead, it's that form those relationships, help them remember that that's the most important piece of this and reinforce that as leaders, right? That it's not just, hey, you should go do that community building thing with your students because that's what's really important. It's you know, spending that time and, and having that as a, as a model um, is so important to then feel that confidence and, and move forward. So I just, I just wanted to make that comment because I think that that is, is so powerful, is remembering that relationships are those underpinnings of, of being learner-centered. And um, you know, your conversations around using UDL and using anti-racist um, curriculum and, and really trying to provide the best learning opportunities for all of our learners to be seen um, in, in an equitable way comes down to having a relationship and, and knowing what that's going to look like. And, and so I, I just, I think that's such a wonderful way of looking at it. Yeah. Well, do, you mind if, do you mind if I share a little bit about where that over, I think that overlap is? Cause I think it's good for teachers to think about. Um, and uh, I'll just say, you know, that um, if, I'm sorry if I'm being long winded, but as you know, sometimes I have to rhyme slow and sometimes I have to rhyme quick here. <laughs> um, nice and smooth. I was told I had to get a song in there, so I figured this was. Oh, well, that's time. right. That's For right. Time. Pressure yeah. is on. Um, so the uh, I the way that I was sort of seeing, at least in our role, in our where we are as a high school right now with UDL, is um, how do we create options for students based on their learning needs, um, and then secondly, how do we scaffold that learning. Um, those options so that it helps students helps guide students through the learning process and to me I see anti-racist education as one where um, it's a lens for how we make decisions so I would argue that UDL could be anti-racist if we're using an anti-racist lens but it also it could actually create up racist structures if we're not um, if we're not utilizing the anti-racist lens to um, to implement it and so I would say for me that's UDL and anti-racism is a lens. I think that cultural responsive instruction, which is I think is, is an anti-racist instructional practice, really overlaps in that it's about how do we form learning partnerships with students and knowing that, um, that um, there are cultural strengths that our students are bringing and senses of resiliency and that we need to know who they are down to the core of their, of their culture 
and um, helping design uh, instructional strategies that um, meet those needs. And so I think there's that, that's where the cross, the, 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 they, they cross in terms of it's really about getting to know who your students are, making sure that they know you are in this with them. And we're gonna do this together. Um, and that they know it. And like, you know, something that um, I've been trying to argue around anti-racist education is that, you know, there's this like, there's some educators with thinkers trying to have this like anti-racist race right now. Who's gonna be the most anti-racist teacher? And I actually think that's actually one of the more destructive things we can do in, in setting up and actually in, in empowering racism. But I think, um, I think that the, the notion that if we, if our, that only our kids can tell us if we're anti-racist educators, only our students of color can tell us if we're anti-racist educators. Um, and, and the ones who I, the ones who I think our students believe who they are in my school are the ones who believe that they are getting down and dirty with them to make sure that they, you know, by any means necessary are learning and loving their school and loving themselves. And so that's where I think UDL also has a nice overlap is that it's, if, is that if we have that passion for kids in that way, we can design learning opportunities for them, opportunities, not just one, but opportunities that meet their, their variety of their, of their needs. And so, um, you know, I've been, we've been really arguing or really encouraging, so that's right, we're encouraging our staff over the last couple of years to focus on relationships first in their classes and um, you know the pressures of high school um, sometimes you know force educators to really feel like they're conflicted. You know, I need to get to my content. I need to get AP class, this AP class, up and running. In Massachusetts, we start after Labor Day, so Texas already started in the middle of August, and so therefore, like, it's so competitive. They have to be ahead. It's oh, so ridiculous. Unbelievable. Um, so, but now we're in this crisis. It's like, no, and we don't know these kids. We're only going to know them through Zoom. Yeah. We need to, we need to really prioritize our relationship. So that's been our goal. That's our goal for this week is how to develop um, learning plans that are focused on relationship building using this overlap of UDL and anti-racism. Um, and we've had a series of speakers talk about um, cultural responsive instruction and executive functioning, um, utilizing technology to foster this. And you know, today our, um, unfortunately we've been talking about these topics for the last couple of years, particularly anti-racist practices. Um, but our, one of our teachers presented on executive functioning and she, you know, for all of her different strategies, she had the anti-racist sort of argument for how to make sure you're incorporating it as we're thinking about executive functioning. And that's when you know, like when your teachers start reinforcing these notions, that's when you know you've got them, right? That's when you know you're like shifting culture. And so, you know, I feel like we're, I feel like we are gonna come out of this pandemic. Uh, I think we are a strong school going into this pandemic. We're gonna be a far stronger school coming out of this pandemic. Um, and, and these teachers are really doing it, which is amazing. So one of the things that um, I appreciate about that, especially from that high school lens, is that oftentimes whenever UDL is, is the topic of, of conversation from a curriculum standpoint, from an instruction standpoint, is that it can get 
um, categorized as for you know for for struggling learners or for special needs populations. Um, similarly, to well, you know, we only need to have conversations around anti-racist um, teaching practices if we are dealing with a a um, you know a a, a highly diverse situation and um, or only people who are interacting with diverse situations need to, to address that and I love that you have so beautifully like you laid those over to say it's not it, it is inclusive of every conversation of, of our um, of our, our you know differing abilities and our differing um, ethnicities and and it's truly this opportunity to learn what is best for the individual as well as what's best for their peers and um and, and again because i think that that is is a huge difference between what you're seeing in your in in your work where you guys have obviously you know worked towards this right like it wasn't just hey okay this is a new topic this is out there this is responsive to you know what's going on not that that is necessarily a bad thing like we all are definitely coming to terms with where we need to um you know push forward with these situations but um you can't you can't build rome in a day either and so you you can't push too fast or you risk everything coming undone and um you know i think that one of the challenges with that pushing too fast is hard fast rules are created around those situations instead of allowing people to um to look for those those individual uh perspectives and, and really kind of create that opportunity for them to see you know like we've had those conversations of of the ap teachers that are like well that's great and all but this is what i need to do for this these kids because this is how they learn and i don't need to change because I don't have differing, you know, um, abilities in my class. Well, yes, you do. <laughs> get to, you know, let's get to that conversation. And and so, I just I love that approach of really keeping it learner centered. And if we keep AP learner centered, we're going to get that, you know, that outcome to be what we're really hoping for. Just like um, any of the other content areas that are out there. So Henry, I, I, I ditto everything Bree said. I wouldn't say it as beautifully as she did, but, um, but I just wanna also just say, I so appreciate how, um, and I don't know how it happened, and maybe you can help me understand how you guys got to this enhanced virtual model, because to be able to strip away the politics of, are we gonna be remote or are we gonna be uh, in person? Like, I really want, I'm just so inspired by how you are so, able to focus on what is best for learners, what is best for your team. And because that is something, it's so funny, you're the first person I've talked to doing any sort of enhanced virtual when that's something that the online and blended community has been saying like, folks, pay attention. This is one that could actually really make a lot of sense. Get your ed needs people in. Think about the things that you really need to be in person for. Um, so I'm just really curious how you got to that, if you don't mind sharing. So the principals out there who are maybe struggling to get some of these yeah. things to, to be to fruition. And that's, a, that's a great question. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I think we kind of, we've, you know, we, we we're not there yet. I'd say that that's where we're sort of, we're, we're thinking it's going to take a lot more politics. And I, and I just want to be clear that the politics still are there, but when, but my message to parents and to our staff is that, the politics can happen outside of our building. Right now, we are focusing on your kids. Like we are now 
we had a you know Q and A with our families um, last week uh, around our our model, and you know there was a, definitely a lot of anger. But I said like after that meeting, like like my job is not to talk about which model is best. That's the district's job. My we are focusing on your kids and what is right for your kids and how do we make this work for your kids. So, um, I no, I would say that that we're we're falling into it because we have a. Um, you know, we logistically cannot have a, an equitable distance learning academy for those who are unable to do hybrid and do hybrid. So you know, we initially, that's where we, where we were tasked to do and we were just, we were unable to, to do it in an equitable way and have, we offer over 500 classes um, of school 2200. So how do, so we can't offer all of those classes, couldn't offer all those classes in a different distance learning academy as we would in the building so that's where we are with you know distant while we're in distant um but i i would you know echo our parents who are upset by by that and our district and our school committee and you know i do think that we need we need to figure out how to get kids out of their basements yeah you know and um you know i you know, so I'm not an epidemiologist, but if, if the epidemiologist is saying that it's safe for us to have some, um, you know, cohorting of students, we need to figure out a way to do that. So in Massachusetts, for example, they've set up a structure for us to have sports. Um, and so we're going to start to scale it up. And as we scale it up, there could be some opportunities to do some learning in the, in the building. Um, and so, you know, I do think it's also how we do things in our district is that, you know, usually it's not like we don't, we don't do formula really, really well. We, we do really innovation really well. Um, and so, which makes us crazy in an amazing place at the same time. So I think that, you know, there's definitely some opportunity for us to really be thoughtful and creative about how do we, you know, build community and also learning, but, that's definitely a ways a ways away. Um, you know, I think the thing that I hope you heard too is that we're we're using this equity lens, this anti-racist lens, to make sure that we are serving all of our students. Um, because you know, in our community, disproportionately, our families of color are the ones saying that they are least comfortable with their kids coming to school. Um, in our um, you know, our, uh, in our, our black and brown families, um, many of them are experiencing in their families and in their communities, um, disproportionate people being impacted by COVID. And so there's definitely this stress that we're, we're dealing with as well. And so we wanna make sure that we're doing this in an equitable, equitable way. Um, and we wanna make sure that we're, we're growing a school that's, that is leaning into that kind of work as well. And so we, um, I'll just say like our, our work next week is around grading. How do we grade in this environment? And um, I'm really proud that a group of teachers um, that formed a, were, in, were our committee this spring and the summer rather, and they created um, a grading system that is you know, inspired by standards-based grading. And they used an anti-racist lens to, to come up with their, their ideas. And um, it's gonna shake it's gonna it's gonna really shake um, a lot of our high school core a little bit in terms of how we think about grading. We're getting rid getting rid of the pluses and minuses. Um, we're doing A B P N G, 
as our grades. Um, and we're going to, we're going to, we're spending next week identifying the skills that we want in each class and how do they connect to our grades and making sure students know like how great, what grades mean in their classes, which will be our first time talking about grades since I've been here. Um, and so again, we're using this priority of like equity, anti-racism, serving all students, um, and how does it help us grow as a, as a school? And I think that just this conversation, even if we don't land in this grading system post-COVID, it's gonna help us serve kids better post-COVID. So, um, you know, I think to like your question, we're, I'm all for us using this crisis to make ourselves better to serve kids as a school. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful that, um, that our folks are, are, are buying into that message as well and um, you know are open to, to, to trying something different. Uh, so much of, of the conversation is like you have to have a crisis in order to grow right like there, there's um, you don't oftentimes you know you buy a car whenever you need it right or you're you know you're not you, you've outgrown a home and so then you have to find a different place or or whatever the situation is there's usually a break or a stress that has happened in order to to move forward and I think that that that's one of those pieces is that in a rush to try to go back to what is comfortable um, we we don't take the opportunity to step into what is possible right like just because it was comfortable doesn't mean that it was great for everyone and um, you know I, I have these conversations all the time with people especially at that high school post um, post graduation situation you know the the higher ed conversation of kids these days aren't prepared for college and um, but at the same point you know our, our high school teachers are preparing them as best they can for for what they you know what what society has said is necessary in college but the thing that that we're not recognizing is that um, that that individuality that confidence that that resilience because what we end up focusing on is um, you know here, the grade is what's going to tell you if you've understood it or not and um, I was having a conversation with my 11 year old last night who um, was was receiving uh, some some feedback we had some game film if you will from uh, some, some one of his his performances and it was really hard for him. Um, there were a lot of a, a lot of, of hard conversations. There were some tears. There, it was really hard for him. And I, I had to explain to him that it doesn't matter how old you are. Anytime you receive feedback um, that you perceive as criticism, you know, we internalize that and we take that to heart. Um, but at the same time, if we choose to look at it from, you know, this is how I'm going to get better, and there's always a chance to get better, then then I can do that. And, um, you know, I talked to him about how so many times we don't like, like, if, if you're in a competition, you might win the competition, but you know, you don't want to get 100 simply because the other person wasn't up to par, right? Like you want to get 100 if you truly deserve that 100. And, um, and, and it's, it's really done in the way that you, you, you have that. Otherwise, you don't know what 100 really looks like, right? And so, um, you know, I think, it's, I think it is so 
challenging to have that grading conversation. Um, I had I had a similar conversation with with um, some teachers last week who were talking about their kids kind of checking out of um, of, of distant learning last week last last spring. And um, you know we talked about how part of that is um, you know in response to hearing all over the media from their parents, from social media, from their friends, from whomever that uh, school didn't count anymore or, or whatever that stuff was. And, and when we've been in a situation where so much of the identity is wrapped around, it counts if it's a grade and it doesn't if it's not, you know, it becomes challenging for kids to have to think about that. And so I, um, and, and then to push teachers and educators to think about that as well, because so much of what counts gets wrapped around that grade. Um, I think it's, I think it's super important to pause and say what we're really, what is really important is that learning situation. So, um, yeah, really? yeah. You, I think that like, <laughs> no, I think that, I think that like, you know, high schools, we, we don't move fast. Right. And, um, but, and we, but at the same time, we've been complaining about the college process for so long that it's just focused on, you know, the hyper focus on grades, GPA and SATs. Um, and that we've become this factory of just, you know, of, of producing these kids who don't have all these other skills, but at least they can do well in the SATs and have a high GPA to go to college. So we, that conversation needs to happen. Um, we complain about parents over-parenting and that the kids are not resilient and that they are, um, you know, parents are snow plowing uh, their way for them. Well, they have to be more independent now, so we have to have that conversation. Um, so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, and we have to re rethink what school looks like because we need to teach differently. So. I don't know what, I mean, if there's a high school that's thinking like, we're just gonna do the same thing that we've always done, like you are missing the boat of what um, your kids need right now and the opportunity of what the, your kids are gonna need in the future and making sure that you're a stronger school. So yeah, I think that we're, we're in this place where um, we know that colleges are, are, you know, are in a crisis on what their admissions process is gonna be. Um, and so we are working with them to see what, you know, what are, how are they shifting, but we're rethinking like, how do we, what do we do with GPA? Do we need a weighted GPA anymore? Um, are there other ways to demonstrate student excellence on their transcripts? Um, kind of prioritizing that our job is to not sort our students, but our job is to demonstrate their excellence um, and let the college make their decisions based on, on that. Um, and that leads us to, you know, how we grade that, you know, our, We've been talking about grade grubbing for years and years and years, you know, and that it's not about the learning, it's about the, the grade the kids get. And we're giving these, which is an arbitrary grade. I mean, all the studies on grading is showing that our grading is arbitrary. So wow. how do we, and high schools have just been resistant to standards-based grading, which, you know, helps us to identify what our kids know. Well, uh, I, I'm, oh, sorry. sorry. No good. I was just gonna say, I'm so glad you're doing this work um, as a parent, as an educator. This is such important work, and it's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's a very controversial topic. Um, but I'll tell you that years and years ago, when I was with my district um, doing professional learning and helping a group of high school teachers move to back then a digital grade book because that was new to them, and having conversations about setting up their grade book. And so tell me 
what do we need to do to transfer from the paper to this? And it was honestly one of the most disturbing things that I've ever witnessed as an educator to have zero rationale between, and, and, and I don't want teachers to think I'm, I'm like being disrespectful. I so appreciate you. This is, this is because there's not been good guidance and good leadership in this area. And so I'm so glad you're doing this, Henry, because I do feel like this is something that's been overlooked and not touched for a long time. And it's really scary to think that there are people holding the power to keep kids from a future that they're entitled to based on arbitrary grading. It just scares me. As a parent, like I know we've been talking about like how it is to be an educator as a parent. It, it terrifies me. Um, so I'm so glad you're doing this work. Well, and uh, to kind of piggyback on that too, one of the things in you know, full circle to stir the eggs back into this, you know, going back to, to your conversation about your, your daughter and scrambling some eggs one morning is that, um, you know, part of it is it's it's in our our nature as educators to provide an answer if we have one right like that's you know somebody asks a question and we know the answer we want to help them with that answer and I, I was having this conversation with teachers um of, that i was working with a school district a couple of weeks ago and and they were saying you know like they these kids like they don't know how to go and find stuff on their own they just need to be spoon-fed they just are always you know they were they were lamenting the challenges that come with um specifically with remote learning of you know if you're not there to be able to help kind of facilitate their uh their exploration as they as they try to find the learning how difficult it is and how kids were just becoming super frustrated because they didn't feel like they had um you know their their teachers support in their learning and um and i shared with them the story of my son when he was like three and a half and he was asking me a million and a half questions like three and a half year old do and i um i just kind of was at my wits end i had a you know infant child as well and i i, I don't even remember what question he asked me now but i just remember i turned and looked at him and said i just don't know and he looked at me like I had stolen his identity and that I had just <laughs> heads and he was horrified and he just gasped and he said, but mama, you know, everything. And I like stopped in that moment and I realized, oh my gosh, I do not know everything. And what am I doing to like set him up? in this situation where he thinks all he has to do is ask me a question and I immediately have the answer. And so I realized that I was going to have to start modeling that right and be like, well, gosh, I don't know. Let's go figure this out together. Or where do you think we should start? Or, you know, and try to help support his exploration instead of giving him that answer. And so I shared that story with these teachers and I was telling them like how again it's not it's not a, a begrudging statement but it's it's in our nature to try to provide an answer because we feel like it's being helpful but do, are we also setting up this expectation where you know you, you don't know the answer go find somebody who does they'll give you an immediate answer and then you just keep moving forward and i said you know like adults we're the worst at this right like if i don't know how to do something i'm gonna you know if something's wrong with my car i'm gonna go ask a mechanic i'm not gonna try to figure it out you know and so we just go to where that answer is and i think that that is part of what is so hard about the grading conversation is how do we 
know the difference between process and progress versus product? How do we know the difference between learning or learned? You know, like where's the verb in all of this and, um, and, and the objectivity versus subjectivity of it. And then the good old fashioned, this is so, this isn't the way that I grew up. Like this is not familiar with me. And so, you know, it's hard for parents to understand. It's hard for kids to understand. It's hard for adults to understand. But if we can get together and say, that's because this wasn't a situation that we had before, you know, let's get to that, right? Like the whole reason why we had report cards and why we had ABC or, or even the number was because we needed parents to understand what level their kids were and we needed it on a on a piece of paper that could be sent home to them well we have different technology now that can demonstrate you know their their learning and maybe it's time to do a little update on that and and get to a better picture yeah i, th I think uh there was a study that came out last year because eric Mazur at harvard that um harvard students thought that they learned best when they were delivered the information but they actually learned the best when they were struggling and not knowing, not having the answers um, or the answers weren't given to them. And so I think that that's like an important lesson for our students too, is that like they, you know, for some of our, our students, they think it's just best when they are sitting there listening to the lecture because they are passive and they can just sit, but they're actually not learning, Yeah. you know? And, um, you know, I think in the same way, we want to empower them and help them to see how much more they're learning when they are they are struggling and you know i'll just say in terms of like from a principal's perspective of you know i've we had 400 people on zoom this morning like we have a large staff that um you know we're we the when parents ask me what is this grading system going to look like i said i don't know and that was a huge political risk for me to say last week but our teachers are going to struggle through it uh next week to deliver to students of what it what it looks like and so you know i think what we're trying to do is model what we want in the classroom because we want we want to model that struggle we want to model that that learner-centered um, idea because we know that's where the best innovation comes from so is it going to be perfect when we share with students no but i also think that it's going to be um, a much better product than us sitting in our office just coming up with um something that may, you know, may, makes no sense whatsoever. So um, you know, I think as a, I think, you know, my message to principals is you've got to model the learning style that you want to see in your classrooms. Oh my goodness, Henry Turner, you are such a fount of knowledge. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas, your perspectives, your innovations. And um, I hope everybody else got as much out of it as I certainly did. No, thank you, Henry. We so appreciate you. Um, we are going to share your social media handles. We want to make sure people are able to find you because you're doing so much great work and we want to make sure everyone can continue to learn from you as we will. So thank you for your time. Thank you too. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. See you later.